This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everyone, welcome to the Rangers Corner. My name's Stevie Clifford and this is a European special. And with it being a special, I've called on two of Heart and Hand's finest. Joining us first of all, Mr Adam Thornton. Hello Stevie, how are you doing? Very well mate, very excited. And also joining us, none other than regular guest, Mr Cameron Bell. Uh, good, uh, good evening Stephen, good evening Adam. Um, we are recording this uh, T minus eight days to Seville, and um, yeah, I don't know how much sleep I'm really going to get between now and kick off next Wednesday. No better place to start, gentlemen, than just to ask you, Adam. Come to you first. How excited are you right now? Oh, I'm not sure what time this podcast is going out, um, so I might not tell you exactly how excited I am. But yes, I am on the precipice this week is going so slow we're recording this on tuesday night and it literally feels like it has lasted for about 10 days already six days until i um depart for barcelona um as my first stop and i am absolutely buzzing i feel like this whole five days since sleep sick has just been one big dream really <laughs> everybody's just been absolutely over the moon uh, and fingers crossed it continues for at the very least another 10 days and Cammy, how are you feeling at this moment in time? Um, yeah, I think Adam's right. I've kind of just, it's like as if I've just been on some sort of other conscious level since uh, the game finished last Thursday. And it's just now, everything is rotating around, obviously, when people are, are going to leave. For me, I'm away next Tuesday. Um, and I'm just kind of starting to kind of, I'm even thinking to myself about packing in. I've actually, I think if I just take my passport and a bank card, I just think that that would be enough for me right now. Uh, so I've even thought about packing or clothes or any or how I'm getting to the airport. I don't care. All I'm just thinking about is a game. And I dare say most people will be in exactly the same bracket. It is, it's a weird feeling to have as an adult. 
if that makes sense. Like sometimes you can think of it as when you're getting close to Christmas and all that when you're an eight-year-old, but this is dreamland. It really, really is. Yeah, it's a very exciting and surreal thing to have to look forward to. I remember when we were looking forward to Manchester, um, obviously the, the league was still very much ongoing and it was so much going on. You, you didn't really have time. Like I feel we do this time, it's, you know, even though there's league games, it, they don't mean as much as they did then. Um, and we're all just excited and looking forward to it. And because it's a European special, gents, we're going to journey back and we'll have a wee look at the, the group stages and, and the qualifying rounds. Not in great... Um, not in great detail, but just a, a kind of skimming over as we look back. And this journey started way back, obviously, with Malmo in the Champions League, which we exited out. And then it came Alish Kurt. Adam, Alish Kurt, home in a way, wasn't exactly the start of what we might have thought would have been this incredible journey. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I think it is. Um, <clears throat> that Alice Kirk game where uh, Lundstrom gets sent off um, was very, very um, far removed from where we are now, both um, Rangers and, and Lundstrom himself. It, it, it kind of felt... Um, I, there was a lot of apathy, which is weird considering how, how high we'd been a few months before, but going out, uh, going out in the Champions League of Malmo, I think, was a really big blow for, for everyone. Um at the club and then it just felt like oh Alice Kurt let's try and get through this and then it's the Europa League group stages again uh, and everyone was kind of a wee bit like oh again um, those two games an absolute non-event that one that we've seen uh, away would get football stopped to be honest I thought um, we were really really poor obviously it was quite warm over there in terms of temperature etc but it wasn't the most um, exciting of two games I think we'll say Stevie but ultimately we got through them and it put us on the path to, to where we are now. Of course a wee bit of context with regards to exactly what was going on at that time most people remember we had a, a bit of an outbreak of Covid um, and obviously Robbie McCrory and things like that were in goal um, and, and there was a wee, I don't think Tav played in that away game so Obviously, we know how important that is. But, Cami, we did manage to get in. Um, and very much similarities in terms of the the Manchester run. That it, it didn't start, you know, obviously the Champions League for Manchester. But in terms of the obvious thing, and it is an obvious thing for us, is nobody at that point was ever thinking about what we were about to do. And that's obviously, Cami, like, for us, it's 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 different because we're not we're not a, a Barcelona, Real Madrid, or whatever who might think or expect latter European stages. So I'm not going to ask you the obvious question in terms of you know at that point because none of us probably sitting there would have thought we were about to do what we are currently doing at this moment. But in terms of group qualification, what were your overall hopes and desires for it ahead? I think just to. I think it was difficult because obviously we made quite a poor start domestically. So my hope was we were going to do what we had done previously, which was try and use Europe and performances in that stage as a as 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 a little bit of a kind of booster, if you want to call it that. And listen, I think that it felt like the universe collapsed when we got put out against a ten man Malmo team, which somewhat ironically, I think if we played them now, we would wipe the floor with them, but. You know, it's it's what happens, and we've said a lot on the on the you know last 
three, four years, that we're an established European team now. No one wants to come to Ibrox. No one wants to be able to, to play against this or get us out the draw or, or be able to try and do that unless you're fundamentally a superpower. So we can hold our own with the best of them. Um, I, I think Adam's right. I think what we kind of said was we're kind of at that point and it's not about... I suppose the best way I can put it is we kind of expect to compete in Europe now, so therefore getting into the groups, being able to perform well in the groups dare I say it, is kind of becoming an expectation now, whereas obviously that's built on the confidence that we've we've gained over the last number of years and how we've been able to try and put some very major European scalps in the table. So I think for me, it was just really a case of let's go into the groups, let's try and get that, but use it as an opportunity to say, let's get the team, you know, working better on a domestic form and, and try and see if we can reinstill some of the hunger that got us 55 um, Europe was an opportunity to be able to try and do that and get a bit of stability in there as well so it was all about recovery especially after Malmo because I, I know everyone was gutted after Malmo, everyone listening to this, we're talking about just now um, was aiming towards us being able to try and get into the Champions League because then at the time we were thinking about oh it's double bubble, we could get into the Champions League this season, win the league and we're in it again next season but obviously things did not go down that route as expected so, Adam, the draw gives us Lyon, Sparta, Prague and Bromby, but doesn't start well. 2-0 at home to Lyon, Sparta, Prague away, we can beat 1-0, Glenn Kamara, double yellow card, off he goes. And we're facing, almost even in, in group stage three, with a double header with Bromby, we're, we're needing minimum four points out of six, which we do manage to get. It's all fairly uninspired. Um, there's a flatness surrounding it. Cam used a good word there in, in terms of expectancy. I think that the, the thrill and the buzz had, had somewhat gone from the the group stages. It was no longer an excitement to be there, more in terms of we're all expecting to get out of it. So do you think that's fair in terms of, do you think that's a, a fair kind of reflection of where we were at that point? Yeah, definitely. I think it's expectations. Um, we expect to win. Um, we're realistic about it. I think the first season or two, getting out of the group stages, um, or even getting into the group stages, sorry, was was a huge achievement. But then once you've done it, we don't want to just do the same thing again. We want to we want to improve and we want to keep going. Um, and I think that losing to Malmo as well as it being that big blow that we mentioned, but going into Europa and, and just doing the same thing again, I don't think many people thought. Um, that we would necessarily get to even the quarters that, um, this year um, and certainly not after those first two games like you said so I think there was a bit of an apathy uh, around it and then obviously didn't help with uh, the manager leaving halfway through or two thirds of the way through um, the campaign as well I think that sort of added to it but those first those first two games we were not good at all Leon gave us a, a, a chasing um, and Sparta I thought we were way off it, um, really quite poor uh, in that game as well and, and it looked like we were down and out I'm not sure of the I'm not sure of the stats on it but I don't think many teams have, have lost their, their first two games and, and qualified um, through the, the group stages so it looked a little bit lost um, in that sense the Bronby game, I think we've all seen over this, whatever it is 65, 65 games um, in the last four years in Europe, I think we've all seen that 2-0 Bronby game a handful of times um, where we get 
it's a it's a good win. Um, a good solid win against a, an opposition. So that that was good to get us back on track. Brown be away. I was there with, with David. Um, and Hadji pulled it out. As far as I'm concerned, I, I I thought we were heading for a defeat in that game. I know it was pretty early in the second half, but I didn't think we were very good at all in the first half. Um, and he managed to pull it out, and it ended up being a, a very very valuable point for us. So there's maybe a glimmer of hope there. But but obviously, as we said, only a, a few days later, the manager leaves, which probably puts, or we thought would put our, our qualification chances in even bigger jeopardy. Yeah, and that's it. And Cami, Sparta Prague, I suppose, is, is a high point in the group. It's Gio's first outing as a, as Rangers manager. It comes a couple of days after semi-final defeat um, to Hibernian. Everything's all a bit up in the air, but it's Ibrox is, is full. Rangers record a good 2-0 victory. Um, great first goal, especially Tavernier has passed through and, and Hadji kind of slides it over for Morelos to tuck away. Really nice goal. The second one, a, a bit of a calamity in terms of defender actually crosses it in beautifully for him to head home. But that needed to be a 2-0 win. Towards the end of the game, there was a magnificent double Alan McGregor save. Um, worth highlighting because 2-0 obviously puts us in an unassailable position. We, we're through in the group. Um, but in terms of massive, massive point in, in the journey as it is, that night was huge for us. Yeah, and I think that that was the point I was making earlier, that you kind of want to run within a tandem of, you know, within Europe, we could start to use that as a as an opportunity. I won't say a, an excuse, an opportunity to bounce back after what was a abysmal performance in the in the League Cup semi-final. Um, and so within that, we could start to instill a bit of belief. And I think that, that that showed a great resilience within the squad because it's incredibly difficult for a manager to come in. Biggest job he's ever had. We've just been papped out of the League Cup. People are not happy. There is a, there is a heartbreak over Gerard leaving and a resentment and an anger and everything else on the back of that. So he's really got to be able to try and come in, come in with the staff that he had, obviously expanded upon that coaching team as well. And that game, as you've rightly said, Stevie, came around very quickly. And it's on a knife edge in terms of what we can do with regards to qualification, because as you boys have just talked about, it was a poor start and we could have done a bit better. I totally agree with Adam there in terms of of what we were able to achieve with the point against Brondbase. And now this is our opportunity at home against a team that I think it's fair to say there was a little bit of needle with um, in terms of what obviously happened across in the Czech Republic. Uh, So it was back to a full Ibrox and for us to be able to to, to go and provide a, a solid performance, which I think we absolutely did. And I'm glad you mentioned the point about McGregor. I know, obviously, having played a lot of football with you, you're definitely part of the goalkeepers' union. Um, but it was it was tremendous, absolutely tremendous. And I think that for a player who's not had as good a season as he would have liked, we will hopefully look back on what is going to be a tremendous season, all fingers crossed and all the rest of it. And we will look at some key saves that Alan McGregor's made because he's very much made a big contribution in the back of that. But yeah, and it, and it kind of feels a little bit bittersweet now that we're obviously talking about Alfredo Morello scoring goals and stuff. And by Christ, I would just, it breaks my heart he wouldn't get to play in that final. It really does. But his contribution, even in the build-up to this, has been, I mean, invaluable. Absolutely invaluable. Yeah, and we finished the group stage with um, 1-1 draw out in Lyon, which... 
I suppose for us at the time was a, a good confidence builder in terms of what we were doing with, with Giovanni just starting and coming in. It was a very much change ranger side, Scott Wright's deflected effort. Um, we'd get as a 1-1 one, one draw, but it was a very competent performance, especially um, defensively, albeit they weren't exactly going hell for leather. But it rounded off what was a... It wasn't a, a polished group performance, which we'd seen in previous years, but all considered, it was really good to get out of the group. And, and straight up, Borussia Dortmund gets drawn just a couple of weeks before Christmas. I'm not sure anybody outside of, of Rangers really would have would have fancied our chances but what was about to happen, you know, a 6-4 victory on aggregate. We've obviously covered this, Cammy, in great detail, so we'll not go dip back into it in terms of in, in terms of having to cover it methodically. But Adam and Cammy, I'll put this both to you. Maybe start with, with Cammy because of what I've said. But that overall double leg, we've beaten them away 4-2. We've then drew with them at home 2-2. But all considered, really unlucky not to win at Ibrox with a magnificent second half. That, for me, was the first big sign of Rangers under Giovanni Van Bronckhurst tactically, but it was a massive scalp. Favourites go to Germany, beat them 4-2, do so well at home as well. Cami, first up, sum up where that ranks with you in terms of... I know that we've kicked on and went further, so it might it might kind of go out of people's mind, but in terms of actual European scalps. That's up where up there with the biggest that I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah, probably exactly the same. Um I think it's one of Rangers' greatest European away performances, probably outside of the the the, the, the Cup Winners Cup final in seventy two. Um it was it was magnificent. And I, I mean you said there, Stevie, you know most people outside of Rangers wouldn't have given us a chance when the draw was made. I didn't give us a chance, and I'm fairly sure I don't remember speaking to loads of people at any point in, in the build up to after the after the draw had been made and the you know, that horrible couple of months hiatus until um the Europa League is, is it kicks off again and we were able to get back into to providing a bit of focus to it that when we got Dortmund out the hat, it was uh, oh well that's fine, we'll we'll take it. We knew that we were gonna struggle um against them. And they were they were favourites for the competition at that time, and yet they went over there, turned in a fearless performance. Um, John Lundstrom playing like a man, you know, reincarnated in terms of what he was capable of doing with that. A wonderful goal from him. And you're right about about Geo, and obviously Adam is our tactics expert and stuff as well. But the the thing that really took me aback when we were looking at the, the the game at Ibrox was everybody had said, I mean, uh, you know, the guy who sits next to me at Ibrox has said, look, as long as we get to nil-nil at half time, we're okay. And then <laughs> we take the lead, which again, I don't think anyone was expecting. Then we go 2-1 down and I'm begging we get back to nil-nil at half time if that's going to be a, a possibility. But you do start to panic. But then the manager came out and said, well, Actually, we've got three different formations that we have trialled playing against them. Um, albeit we'd probably seen one of them before we launched them, obviously dropping back in as, as, as part of a three. But he was set up for whatever scenario unfolded at that time. Um, and that, I think for me, is where I started to get a, probably a real injection of confidence about what Van Bronckhurst was capable of bringing into that job. Uh, because again, like you say, we'd had some domestic issues um, prior to that, and I just think that it, it was just about us being able to try and, and express ourselves on a stage that 
again, like you say, I think a lot of people just just felt that Dortmund would sweep bias and then they would they would move on and probably going to dominate the tournament. Adam, two things from that, um, and as, as Cammy pointed out, you are rightly the the tactics man of of heart and hand. So, the couple of things I wanted your opinion on. Firstly, John Lundstrom um, had had began to to come into that team, played against Hearts and and Hibs, and began to kind of dominate. How much did he change? Um, from the the kind of outlook of of the Rangers setup, etc., and also your thoughts on Giovanni's change at two one down at home, in in the home leg, in terms of Dortmund having all the momentum, the change he made to three at the back, Lindstrom going in, just completely killed them. Can you talk us through those points for us? I think the first thing there is the three 0 game. Uh, at Parkhead was a bit of a um, rude awakening for Van Bronckhorst. It, it sounds crazy now, but going into that game with Kamara as the um, sole defensive midfielder and Aribo and Arfield as, as your number eights <clears throat> is very, very attacking. That's not something that Gerard would ever have done. Um, there's not a lot of pace and industry and, and tackling in there, um, which you, you would probably need uh, in these type of games. Two of them are obviously a lot um, more attack-minded um, and Arfield can't really cover the ground that, that he used to. Um, so looking back, that seems very, very strange as a setup, and I think that was maybe a wake-up call for him because pretty much 80-90% um, since then we have played with two holding midfielders uh, and it's been Jack and Lundstrom and what he did there was he, he sacrificed a winger um, you remember when when Vermontkorst came in and we were told it was going to be one number six the fullbacks would be a little bit deeper he'd play two wingers and he'd have a, a focal point um, and, and he pretty much did that for a while um, Hadji was playing out wide for a bit then Diallo came in for a, for a bit um, but he changed it after that game and he basically sacrificed a winger he moved Scott Arfield up into that kind of inside right position, um, and he played Jack and Lindstrom. So what that gives you is that you probably lose a bit, um, in terms of of attacking intent, but you make yourself more hard to beat in the middle because you've got those two defensive midfielders. He then elected to push the fullbacks on a little bit, and and it kind of became a little bit more of a well structured system. So I think that's the first piece, and I think that made us hard to beat, uh, if you want to call us that. Certainly, certainly defensively, um, but then. Against Dortmund at home, what he did then was was basically take that a little bit further. Um, and for anybody who's been listening to Extra and the flagship, I think Lundstrom and Bassi are, are the two that come to to the fore here. That ability to be able to switch between um, Lundstrom playing centre back or, or defensive midfielder, Bassi playing centre half, left centre half, left wing back, um, left back is really useful for us. I think the flexibility of one or both of them being in the team means that. Yes, you're playing a three at the back, but it's a different kind of three at the back. I think when most people were talking about it before, it was let's play Herlander, Balogun and, and Goldson uh, as three centre-halves and let's make ourselves hard to beat. It doesn't always work that way because in, in Scotland, I know this is about Europe, but in Scotland, those three playing, uh, it's kind of pointless. We don't need that. Playing against one forward. However, in these type of games... If you've got a Bassi or a Lundstrom, or both, as we've seen, playing in, in defence, it's it's a bit more attacking. You've got that base there, but both of them can step out. You see Bassi going on those mazy runs, you see Lundstrom doing it as well. Both can step out, both can pick a pass. They're kind of playing like midfielders or fullbacks, 
just in a different position. So the flexibility that it gives is great. But certainly um, that second half against um, Dortmund, considering it was one of the first times we'd done it, considering the magnitude of the game, um, it was a very, very bold move for us. And that, for me, that change, that single change is probably the bedrock for this entire run, just giving us that flexibility to just turn the screw or, or hold off and let an opponent kind of punch themselves out before before going for them um, on the counter. I think that has been the, the one crucial tactical uh, evolution that I would I would say has has helped us get to where we are now. Cami said something which I really agree with. That move, tactically, at that point, I don't think you can underestimate just how much Dortmund were on top. Not only did they, they went to one, Alan actually had a, a couple of straightforward but but decent still standing saves that, that kept it at 2-1 and at that point it was very much Dortmund in the ascendancy that that move tactically um to, to kind of shut them down changed the game massively Rangers you know not only did equalize most likely should have had a third goal which was very harshly chopped off by VAR but in terms of what Cameron said and and, and giving you that belief that that positivity behind Giovanni Van Bronckhurst I think that's huge and something that has now come out which we'll come back to I think tactically that was a, a bit of a first master stroke or in terms of the first very this will maybe sound strange I can't think of how definitely to, to describe it otherwise but a very big publicly master stroke where everybody paid attention to what he had done so that was certainly good next up was was Red Star again you know, Rangers would come through that game 4-2. The, the home game was absolutely crazy. You know, Tavernier and Morelos have, have scored within 15 minutes, but they've had two goals disallowed. Then a, a magnificent penalty saved by Alan McGregor, which I'll, I'll, I'll back this off to you now, boys. In, in, in terms of, I think Alan McGregor's made nine penalty saves. This was uh, one of the videos that were up most recently on social media. This, for me, is his best penalty save for Rangers. Cammy. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a perfectly fair shout. Um, I need to rewatch this game again, but I'm sure it, it was it was either side of this penalty. I can't remember exactly when. But he also makes a magnificent save. I'm sure down to his right hand side as well, um, which I think happened just before this. I'll need to rewatch it. Uh, but you know, I, t- I agree, Stevie. I, I totally agree, and I think that this is this has kind of been the yin and yang where you're seeing McGregor be able to pull out some of these incredible stops that penalty save and I don't think it's I don't think it's an exaggeration to be able to say that we had kind of ridden our luck a little bit with both of the disallowed goals now I'm not saying for a single minute that you know the 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 win was unjustly um given to because we we absolutely earned the right to be able to walk away from that game at at 3-0 but we, I think we we could all confidently say those goals are scored domestically. I think they stand, and thankfully for VAR, they were correctly ruled offside. I, I mean, it was a penalty. I've, I've got no real doubt about that. There's nothing much that you can say about that as well. That kind of where uh, you know that's the flip side of VAR with it as well. But I I think that it was a it was a tremendous penalty save that looking back, not within the context of the game and where we were at the time and everything else as well, but again, could prove uh, in retrospect to be, you know, uh, one of the one of the finding points of this run. And Adam, not only has he, he kind of pulled it out of the bag with that penalty save, Rangers have, have had a strong performance at home, but we go away, lose a really poor goal after 10 minutes um, from a corner, kind of mix up in the defence. 
Al McGregor's then pulled out two really wonderful saves. Uh, one particularly his left hand, he tips over as the boy comes in onto his left foot. In the second half, there's a, a kind of whipped cross which he manages to keep out and then on the flip side, he, there's a shot which he kind of bobbles up and the boy should put in the rebound but Alan manages to get down and then out of nowhere, almost perfect tactically, Ryan Kent springs that break when playing the lovely one-two with, with Glenn Kamara. Glenn manages to hold it up and plays it through almost similarly to something that we would see just last week in the semi-final but that's almost tactically perfect. Now, I know that we, we lost the game 2-1 with a very late penalty kick, which was, again, justly given. But in terms of tactically, um, you know, sitting in, absorbing that sucker punch break goal, you must have taken a lot of kind of joy from that type of goal. <clears throat> Definitely. Um, also, Ryan Kent doesn't score very often, and I'm a big advocate of... Um, who I don't feel like that's as big an issue as uh, as others when you think of A, what he does off the ball, um, what he provides and also the, the assists that he's been racking up very quietly since since Christmas. So Kent to get that goal I think was, was quite pleasing because it looked like it was visibly annoying him um, for the weeks before that. He, he, I think he'd said he wasn't sure what he had to do to get a goal in, in one of the games. I think it might have been the previous game actually. So for him to, to get that was, was good. Um, and yeah, McGregor's European form hasn't really matched his, his domestic form this season, um, has it? You think we mentioned there, Slavia, uh, Sparta Prague, sorry, huge saves in that one. Um, I'm sure there were a couple in, in one of the other games as well uh, in the group stages. And then obviously you mentioned both both Red Star games. I think he has been excellent um, in this one and as big a part of it uh, as some of the others when, when you think about it. Um, how crucial those have, those have been. So um, he has been fantastic and I think he deserves um, his his final appearance given he missed out in, in 2008. Um, in terms of the tactical setup, yeah, th- this was the the outlier, wasn't it really, this round because we had the home game first and then the away game. So um, it is ignoring Dortmund because that's an absolute aberration winning, winning 4-2 away. But if you look at the round of 16 quarterfinals, semifinals, as we've come on to, it's kind of what you would pray for, isn't it? Really, you you get a escape the away leg, whether it's first or second, with a, a narrow defeat um, at worst, and then you get a couple of goals or three goals in in each of the each of the home legs, which should be enough to see you through. It's one of those things you aim for ten points in the groups uh, as a kind of standard. That's what everyone wants to aim for. You aim for forty points in the Premier League. This is the kind of textbook results that you need to get to to get through these, and we've not really had any. Surprises. There have been surprises within in terms of um, goals or chances or, or anything like that. But when you look at them, it's it's kind of textbook how you'd want to progress through. And I think this this one was the bedrock. Get the big win at home. Nobody thought it was done by any stretch of the imagination. Three uh, 0 particularly how dangerous they'd been and, and the offsides and Cami spawn. I think at least two of those um, are. Uh, are given uh, in Scotland, which would have been a, a different game completely. This is what we have VAR for. Um, we get there with the, the 3-0 and we um, manage to escape the the away leg um, unscathed just about uh, and get us through to the quarters. I think what's, I think what's interesting, sorry Stevie, just to cut into, because to, Adam's, Adam's on the money, right? But what's interesting about this is when this happens, when it's Atletico Madrid playing at the Etihad, all of a sudden it feels like as if that's absolutely the correct tactical approach, yet Rangers have done the same thing and got to the Europa League final. 
and I'm not necessarily saying by being pragmatic, playing in away legs and just defending and doing all that kind of stuff. We've done that before and it got us to, to Manchester, but it's about being able to then look at each each leg in isolation, exactly as Adam's saying, where you're then saying, well, our approach will be different at home. And I mean, Christ, typically, I mean, now looking back on it, it's great to say it because <laughs> you don't feel that confident at the time, but Christ, it just felt right. Okay, within 15 minutes when we're playing at Ibrox in a European league, if James Tavernier hasn't scored and somehow something is wrong, whereas that's, that's a positive play, that's us going out, taking the game to them, and not being afraid, and I think that that's why I'm sitting here just now feeling semi-confident about the final, because the team have instilled that confidence in me by the performances at home. I was going to quickly ask you both, is it controversial or is it fair to say that Red Star in this journey have caused Rangers the most problems in terms of clear-cut opportunities? Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is fair. Um, yeah. I would say so. Dortmund obviously scored uh, four goals, maybe just about on a par, but I think because we had that that volume of of, of goals and the big high from, from the away leg, we maybe forget about some of the chances that, that they had had. But I would say um, the away leg, and again, it's the second leg, so it's definitive, but I would say the away leg um, against Red Star is the, is the most nervous I've been. So, uh, yeah, I would go along with that. I think as well as 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 that. I mean, as we've just mentioned there, and you've got to think about, you know, psychologically for the Red Star players at Ibrox, you've scored what you think is a perfectly good goal has been disallowed. Rangers have then taken the lead just after ten minutes played. You've then scored a second goal that, let's face it, was a was a pretty decent finish as well. That's been disallowed. Rangers then go two 0 up, and then you miss a penalty. So I think Red Star did cause us problems, but they also I think once we got to about half time, and as I say, they've they've created chances, but they just haven't paid off through one thing or another. It must just completely burst you. I mean, it must do, and I think that's exactly what you saw from them. Um, and again, we created those. We created those two opportunities. We had a a wonderful save from the goalkeeper. We're not. We're, we weren't fluking our way through it. No, absolutely not. And next up comes Braga. And I'm not going to say it was a, it was a tie we all wanted, but it was a tie certainly that, that was mentioned. It was a it was a game that I'm going to be honest with you. See, when we got this tie, I'm starting to think that we should be winning this game, and it's not based on so much having beat them before, but I'm I'm getting close now. I'm starting to. Whereas if we get beat by Dortmund, right, okay, fine. But now we're starting to get the quarterfinals. We're starting to get a wee bit closer. You're starting to want it. That's how I felt. Nothing really happened away from home. We we were happy enough to get beat one 0 I thought we were pretty dismal. There was no no striker. Obviously, fashion was. That was when it was coined the very famous phrase of I, I don't know where it came from, but somebody said it was like a speedboat without a driver, and that was certainly you know we can laugh about it now. The home leg was magnificent. A couple of things I wanted to speak about. One is James Tavernier, and I'll get to him in a wee minute. But in terms of, I grew up and Parma was a big one for me. It's always been my favourite Rangers game. This is close to being my favourite Rangers game at Ibrooks. At that point that, that I'd got to, I thought we were magnificent straight from the get-go. You know, we had big decisions, obviously. They, they end up with nine men and things like that. But Ibrooks was electric. It was just 
it was just the magnificent European performance that we we've come to expect. All the highs and lows of them getting that eighty third minute header and, and things like that. But in terms of in terms of Super Rangers European nights at Ibrook Stadium, this is up there with as close to Parma, if not better than Parma, than I've had so far. Cami. Um. I mean, it was it was a great atmosphere, and we're lucky that we're sitting here talking about this because then I could say, right, well, as we'll come on to in terms of the semi final, if it was beaten, it was beaten by a game that I think that most people are saying, you know, surpasses Kiev, surpasses Parma, surpasses Leeds, however you want to call it. I think the the looking back in this game, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, with two 0 up and an extra man, I still felt like we were chasing the game a little bit. And then when Braga scored near the death, I think it was very interesting because we didn't we didn't fold in on ourselves. We didn't like the stadium didn't turn against the team. Nothing that we just said right, okay, that's fine. They've scored. We go into extra time. Obviously, everyone at that point, as as you know, things would work out. We think, oh shit, because we've got the uh, Scottish Cup semi final. And as a result of that, it'll take more legs out of the players. But I suppose most of us were also thinking that, saying, listen, we can't let this go to extra time because we've got a massive game coming up in four days. Then they score, and it's like, oh, shit. And I've seen Ibrox, and listen, we've all been in Ibrox. Let's not deny this. We've all been in Ibrox where things like that have happened and the the atmosphere in the stadium turns very, very quickly. That did not happen against Braga. It was a resilience, I think, from the stands and also on the part from the players to say, okay, we've made this slightly harder than we probably need to, but we're still going to get there and we're still going to be able to produce it. So whilst I don't, I think it was different to, to what, we, what we're about to talk about with the semi-final, I think it was an opportunity that it could have went very differently, but we we absolutely did not allow that to happen. Um, and, and I think, you know, looking back at it now in terms of where that sits at, we probably could have made it easier for ourselves. I think we could have been in a couple of chances a little bit more clinical, uh, but by and large, it's it's a case of you can't uh, disrespect, devalue, underestimate, however you want to call it, a major European opponent on a major evening. And let's not forget, every single team that we've spoken about, as much as they feared coming to Ibrox, probably thought we just need to be able to do and get a result. Tav's goal within, what was it, two minutes? Completely negates what's happened across in Portugal. That's it, we're back on even keel and the game has still got basically the full 90 still to go. So it, it was a great atmosphere. Um, I was just, <laughs> I think for my heart uh, palpitations, it would have been better if we'd managed the game slightly, slightly easier on ourselves. Adam, your favourite subject, James Tavernier. I look back on the Scottish Cup final back in 2002 and say that um, Barry Ferguson single-handedly took that game by the scruff of the neck and, and dragged Rangers to, you know, a very memorable cup final victory. James Tavernier, I've always been of the opinion, and it's well documented, that we need, as a captain, you know, for when people have spoken about stats and Hall of Fame and things, I needed, for me, only personal choice, more trophies and things like that. Somebody said to me, have you seen a better right-back at Rangers in your, in your 38 years? And I've got to be honest, no. And what's really impressed me with James Tavernier, not only in the court but also the semi-final, is the his ability to go to a level 
above what I thought he was capable of and really drive Rangers home. We spoke a lot about, you know, it's, it's a default complaint from people, James Tavernier shouldn't be captain whenever anything goes wrong. I'll tell you right now, and, and you've been a great advocate of this, So, and we've always had, you know, we, we kind of light-hearted discussions, but I'll tell you right now, I don't think I can name a better right-back at Rangers in terms of stats, in terms of what he's done. But not only that, James Tavernier has proven, not that he needed to, but has proven above and beyond all reproach that he is the man of this team and he has the ability to go above levels and and produce magical moments. Uh, yeah, you're, you're preaching to the choir, but uh, uh, to me, I just don't understand how people didn't see it before. <laughs> I'm not trying to claim that. I know all, it's just been very, very obvious since... Um, Gerard came in that he's in the top three players in the country and there hasn't been any debate about it and for me the last two years he's he's been the most important well he's been the most important player in the country for me um, certainly last season and I would say as far as you had in European in as well I'd say he's been the most important player too um, but over the four years of Gerard and Ivan Bronckhorst he's been the number one you could argue Morelos as well, absolutely, for the goals. But I just think in terms of um, everything overall, for me, um, he has been the most important. He's been the best player. He's the most consistent. He's the most available, which people kind of discount that as well. But the durability that we have with having goals and being there and, and missing, what, less than 20 games between them and, and nearly four seasons is just absolutely incredible. Um, you mentioned him stepping up. He steps up all the time, but... It's 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 one of these things that is just taken for granted now. Um, if he goes out and has a game where where he gets an assist, gets a goal, people just think, well, that's just par for the course, and it's that expectation thing. He gets held to a, a standard, um, and then defensively a mistake happens, and it's like, oh, I don't know. I think it's time for me time for me to move on when people make mistakes when you play in this kind of way. And we've said this before, but when, when he's a mega attacking right back as he was in the early years and he's got Rob Keelan covering him, um, I'm not sure what you want him to do. You want him just to sit at the halfway line and then we don't score any goals when Tavern Morelos were, were basically carrying the team under, under Murray. I, I don't know what people are expecting there. He has to go and attack because he was the only one capable of attacking consistently. Um, the problem was behind him, people covering um, yes, he gets caught out. Yes, he can sleep. Yes, he makes mistakes. But if you watch, it's the mistakes are when he tries to force something because he's trying to go and get something done or trying to push the team on. Um, that is leadership. And I think now we're seeing, like I said, certainly over the last two years, just quite a calmness and, and people look to him as as the senior, one of the senior members of, of the team. Um, he, he, he carries himself in a, in a different way. Um, and... He's developing more and more. We spoke last season about the Galatasaray game, which for me, I thought he dragged us through that game as well. At parts, obviously, he gets that back post goal, but then we start to see his impact in the box and these open play goals starting then, continuing all the way through that season um, and into this season. That Those positions that he takes up, um, the goal that he scored against Galatasaray, the goal that he scored against um, Leipzig, the goal that he almost scored away in Leipzig, which was pretty much a carbon copy that, when Kent dragged the ball across it's just par for the course now he's been doing that for a couple of years but what we're seeing is because we've got that base behind him we've got people covering we've got your Jacks your Lundstroms your Goldsons even Arfield when he's covering able to give that that base and, and support them in a way that um, gets the best out of them I think that's what we're that's what we're seeing and it's it's ridiculous that he's his stats are ridiculous anyway what is it 80 something goals and, and 
over a hundred assists in, in however many years it is is just incredible. Um and people take it for granted. But the fact that he's a top scorer in the Europa League um is just mind blowing. Um and I still there are still people who who don't rate him. I got one after someone saying after the Celtic game, I don't understand what you see in this this player and I I don't understand what you I, I can't understand what you see. I'm absolutely baffled that anybody still has still has doubts. Um I think people like to set their people like to set they'll stall out early with an opinion and be the first person to have that opinion and then they go very, very quiet when things go the other way. And I probably do the same, but I would challenge anybody to say that over the piece um, he's delivered more bad moments than, than good moments. I don't think you can. I think the good are far outweighing the bad um, at, at this point. Um, and I think you're spot on. I think Gary, Steven is the, Gary Stevens is the obvious one that, that people talk about, but I just think... The physicality that Tavernier's got, as well as the the numbers, the assists, um, and the goals, is just never going to be beaten. I don't think for a for a Rangers fullback, there will be many, many, many Rangers wingers and forwards that won't beat that, um, uh, as well. So I think sometimes you just need to say he's in a very, very special moment in in these games. And yeah, for me, hundred percent the best I've I've seen going to the games. I think. The big, the biggest thing for me, and the final kind of point I'll, I'll make on this before we move on, is that when you get a special captain, somebody like Barry Ferguson, somebody like, um, you know, your your John Greggs, etc., is that ability to have defining moments, um, big, huge defining moments, and not only that, to single-handedly grab games and drive them on. Whether or not it's taken me a wee bit to waking up to it or whatever, then fine, I, I can I get that. But I watched these games, Braga, Leipzig, which we're about to come on to, and that was James Tavernier. And that is maybe, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it, maybe maybe being too harsh or, or whatever or, or not seeing it clearly in, in other games. But the biggest of big stages, he's he's completely delivered. So all credit to him. Absolutely all credit to him. But I thought it was worthy of, of making that point in terms of he's went above to bits that I've not thought. And and for me, these type of games are, are kind of what I've mentioned. That ability to, to, to really captain and, and drive on makes him that special player in my eyes. But I think it's just to... Just to I know we're about to come on to, no, to Leipzig as well, but... There's two things for me. First of all, James Tavernier is a Hall of Famer. There is zero doubt in my. In fact, there's there's guys in the Hall of Fame that, as far as I'm concerned, Tav has already surpassed. He he walks into that Hall of Fame right now. I don't care what happens next week. He's already proven himself many times over. And I suppose probably just to compliment Adam's point there about people not seeing things. How the hell are we not getting bids in for this guy? It, it completely befuddles me that people are not, you know, like breaking down our door to come in to break, uh, put in bids for him. He's done this on on one of the largest stages he possibly can, and yet at the same point, I, I hear very little noise around him. And I, I I thank whatever deity you want to 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 respect, in the fact that no one has been able to recognise this. So, as much as we talk about when Adam probably has some of that conversation with some people about, well, why you not? Why do you not get it? Those people are not alone. I don't understand as to why people are not snapping this guy up because he would be a major force in any team that he walks into and we're incredibly fortunate to have him at Ibrox. 
Yeah, that's something that we've discussed before, Adam and I, in terms of Hall of Fame and stuff like that. And again, it goes back to what I first said. For me, you know, it's got, got to be winners, winners in terms of our Hall of Fame and stuff like that. But I know that's not the, the criteria. But just to finally say, um, anyone that, that wants James Tavernier in the Hall of Fame, I'm right there with you. And I think that's because of what I've seen in the last couple of months. It's almost like, in a, in a silly way, it's almost like I've said to him, prove it to me. And, he, and he's went to levels that I've never thought he's capable of. And I know that's a, a kind of very self thingy to say, but it's almost like that's happened. He's went, right then, I'll just prove you wrong. And he's went massively. And nothing but respect for that. And I know that the Hall of Fame shouldn't be decided on a couple of games in the last couple of months, but it's almost like I've opened my eyes to it. So that's on me. But all respect to James Tavernier. For for me, his his performance in that Braga game especially was was Ferguson-esque in terms of what I've seen growing up and grabbing stuff by the neck. But next up was Leipzig. Um, away from home, I actually went to this one um, guest of 32 Red, which I'm very thankful for. Undone by a moment of, of genius, um, by a, a, a volley in the last five minutes. Very much like Braga. There was a difference, though. There was a very, very confident Rangers team. Even when seen them in the airport, um, Scotty Arfield, Stephen Davis will turn them over. And that was... That just shone through at Ibrooks where a night where I said that Braga was as big as Parma. This probably goes past both of them in terms of what we witnessed. Just a magical night. The noise, James Tavernier opens the scoring, and then we see a wonderful, wonderful goal. I've watched this goal so many times. The way Glenn Kamara rolls that in, the way it moves, the way the whole move to win it back, move it around was just, I think that's one of these goals that's understated and will be understated for us. Then in Kunku, with a, a, a lovely volley a minute after Alan McGregor makes a, a top-class save and then John Lundstrom steps up and the journey which he started all the way back against Alex Kirk getting red-carded and, you know, a difficult start for him is ended by Ibrook Stadium worshipping him and him scoring the goal that takes us to the Europa League final. Gentlemen, that was just last week for us. We're still all on a massive, massive high Cammy, I don't even know how to ask you to describe it, but talk us through the game and then Adam, try and... I'm still living in that moment. I think... Um, I think when you look at the away leg and how we perform within that, and I thought that we've been very scrappy in terms of being able to try and piece a team together, which by and large due to... to I mean, obviously injuries with Kamar Roof and what have you and who the hell is going to play up front and you know we had that against Celtic obviously so it's very much a kind of idea of well, we're just going to have to start to try things and, and taking it from there um, the first leg for me felt very much like a, we, we've, we've, we've done this before we can go across there and I suppose the real the real takeaway for me Stevie was we had to get beaten by a piece of quality and that's really important. And you can see the team were pissed off to lose, obviously, and to concede that. I understand all of that, right? I get that. But I think in their, in their post-match, and the comments that came out after the game, and the, and the, I think the, 
the general sense that I got out the back of that was the players knew that Leipzig had, had got lucky. Uh, and I say lucky in terms of the result. The goal was magnificent. I'm not saying for a single minute it wasn't. But by and large, they deserved to get something out the back of that. So it was all about the performance. It was about instilling confidence within that. Do we get that? You know, if we're 3-0 down and we've got a mountain to climb back at Ibrox, no, of course not. But the way how we'd went out and conducted it, even though we lost the game, I think still talked about the performance. And then, you know, you get to Ibrox, you get to an Ibrox that, you know, 30 to 60 minutes beforehand is 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 electric. We obviously lost a, a club icon immediately prior to it, which I think supercharged the atmosphere, it supercharged the fans, and it certainly did with the players. Um. And then, you know, Tav steps up and, and I, I want to kind of say something about this before because I think this is one area that definitely Adam and I agree on when we talk about people criticising specific players and by that I mean Ryan Kent because everyone talks about goals that he should get, finish he get, blah, blah, what have you. Glenn Kamada does superbly well for the first goal in terms of being able to use some key strength, right? So let's not get away from that. Kent continues to drive it and Kent, it's a brilliant cross, right across the right across the dance floor to get to, to Tav at the back uh, the back post. It, it, Tav is moving and the ball is is literally on a plate for him. The ball in from Kent is absolutely phenomenal. Then we move on to as you just mentioned there, Stevie. Obviously, the the, the great work to, by Scott Wright just to be able to drop it off to Kamara and Kamara's had his his criticism this season as well. I totally, you know, I, I I don't think we can we can revise where he's had poor games and think, well, you know, maybe I was a bit too harsh on him or whatever. He's 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 not played well at times. Other times he's absolutely turned up. And this was a game that Glenn Kamara absolutely turned up and the finish was absolutely sublime. And unlike what happened with Braga, where we're two goals up with, you know, a fairly solid lead, played well, etc. Unlike Braga, where I felt we were chasing it, I just I just felt we were in total control at this point. When in Cuckoo scores uh, with 20 minutes to go, I have no concern whatsoever that potentially this was going to slip away from us. And I just felt at that point it was a matter of time. And, I mean, it's it's Lundstrom. I mean, what more can you say about the guy? Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, and probably like you boys, I've watched the, the post-match highlights, uh, seeing Alan McGregor, Scott Arfield singing along with the rest of Ibrox about John Lundstrom being the best on earth just shows you what this team think about this guy and obviously what all of us think about him as well. The, uh, I mean, the guy is reborn uh, without a, a shadow of a doubt. We were phenomenal. Um, as recording this last Thursday, absolutely phenomenal. And uh, it, the best atmosphere I've ever experienced within Ibrox, without a shadow of a doubt. Adam, remember that time we seen John Lundstrom straight after the semi-final, which he scored the winner to get into the Europa League final, and we gave him a wee hug. I literally, we literally ran and nearly jumped on him. Yes, I absolutely do remember that. Just a perfect ending to what was a, a great night. Sum up your feelings on on that second leg. As, as as Tammy said, and it's almost impossible, but I still feel like I'm living on such a high from that. Yes, I still feel like it's uh, it's just right there. I'm like, why do I have to sum up my feelings on it? I feel like I'm still I'm still in it. But um, yeah, it was obviously quite similar to Braga in terms of both both the results. Um, we had to be a little bit more restrained on this one. I think me, Martin, and David said on on the flagship they are a good team. Um, I wasn't massively impressed with them in 
in Leipzig, obviously, we played a bit more defensively. We we delivered a bit of a Gerard away result, I would say, um, in that one. Um, we could have had the goal, as we said, with, with Kent dragging dragging that across. If Tavernier had gambled at the back post, I think he'd have got there, as he did um, in the home leg. But it was really our only our only chance. Um, one nil was was probably just about fair, but it was a pretty disciplined performance. But I didn't see much from them that was was terrifying me. Um, obviously they knock it about quite well, but they just felt like a team that um couldn't quite cope with um a team that defends well, which is obviously a very a very German thing. So I wasn't massively concerned. However, um they had a couple of players back for for this game. Kevin Campbell being being one of the main ones um who I maybe was a little bit concerned about. Um, but still, this atmosphere is just so strange. Just now we've mentioned a few times on pods that. Braga, Dortmund and Red Star for me are pretty close to going right into the top five in terms of atmospheres. Um, something happens. Uh, it, it, I can't really put my finger on it, but you, you do start to just believe that there's a charm um, there. Um, before the game, I was nervous about the occasion before before the game, absolutely, but I wasn't nervous about the team. I made this point on, what was it? I can't remember. Extra, I think it probably was, that you're going to that game with Bassi and Lundstrom at centre-back Scott Wright playing a midfield to a Jack and Kamara, and nobody really cared. Like this time last year, there would have been riots if if that was maybe not last year, maybe the year before, there would have been riots if if that was there because we would have thought um, down to the bare bones or this and that. The noise has just disappeared. The team are just in a moment where everybody is behind them. Everybody knows what we need to do, and people were believing that we would get there. And I think the game played out in in that way. We got the. The two goals which um, spooked them. The manager said after the game, after the game, it absolutely spooked them at that point, and no wonder because the gantry was shaking. You've seen the BT Sport camera um, that that was posted, which is obviously a little bit higher up, but the gantry was shaking. There was people jumping in the press box when we scored at the end. It was absolute bedlam, and that view that we've got at the press, you could obviously see down to the the enclosure bouncing. You can see up the main stand, and you can see all the other. Um, stands just jumping for for joy. It was incredible, um, in that moment where where the goal goes, and I think I started well up at two 0 just because we'd got to that point where I thought right, that's us in front, and that's us going for going for it now. Let's see how things go. Let's get to half time. But as soon as that goal went in, I just I didn't know what to do. I, I I thought that was it. We obviously there's a fear. They get the corners. There's this. There's that happening. When when Tav nearly slid off the park, I had a heart attack. But um, other than that, that goal goes in, especially when it's Lundstrom. It's just one of those things you think, right? This is this has happened. There's no way that this can't happen. And then that full time whistle went. I think a listener tweeted me saying he looked up to the press box and I was welling up. Martin was sitting down with his head in his hands and David was singing, um, the Blue Sea Eyebrows. I think it was, and that pretty much summed it up. It was just chaos everywhere. People not really knowing where to look. People being delighted. People just being. In an absolute state of disbelief. Um, when that song comes on, uh, I'm feeling it, it, it again. It's just a special thing, and for this one um, as well, I just can't explain it. I've said this a few times; it's probably becoming a cliche, but it genuinely was one of those out of body experiences that you just can't really figure out what is happening, but you just know it's one of the best things in the world. And here we are, 18th of May, 2022. The Ramon Sanchez Pure One. Stadium in Seville, Eintracht Frankfurt versus Rangers. Eintracht are a good side. We know they're a good side. They've beaten some some quality teams. Went to Barcelona and won 
the the beaten West Ham. It feels like there's a bit of destiny behind Rangers. 150th anniversary, 50 years since Barcelona. The losses that we've incurred this year um, to the great Walter Smith and, and the great Jimmy Bale. It just feels like everything is pointed towards probably the greatest achievement in the club's history. And that's not to downplay 72 or anything that's happened before. There's a part of me that doesn't want to think about it because of the massive, massive points of not only the glory and the prestige, but the financial, the Champions League, everything that will come with this moment. This is just a big, not only is it a, a, a huge, huge match, but it's a magnificent achievement to be there. I have to ask you both to try and sum this up as we, as we come to the end of this podcast. Not only your excitement as we started the podcast with it, but just your overall thoughts on this journey, your overall thoughts on where we are, your overall thoughts on Giovanni Van Bronckhurst, everything about this moment and, and where we are. I can't tell you how unbelievably proud I am of the team and, and the efforts they made. I didn't think they were capable of it. And that's probably not a great thing to say, but that's made their achievement even more massive. And not because I didn't believe in them. I've spoke all year about this being, you know, this team building a legacy on top of 55 and, and 55 shouldn't have been their defining moment. But in terms of Europe being, you know, heavily slanted towards the, the superpowers and super leagues, etc., we are not one of them. So to be where we are, to have this in touching distance, Manchester was hard. The end of the game, you know, everything about it, this time it feels like it feels like there's destiny for us. And that's that's something I'm going to cling on to. Adam, the impossible question, but sum up this run, sum up where you are the now, Giovanni Van Bronckhurst. Anything you want to say in regards to this European run, this is yours. Um, I think we're past the stage where we're splitting out, splitting out domestic and, and European form. I think he's in a pretty, a pretty decent place here. I think we've got the bones of a squad for next year that I think most people are happy with, which we probably couldn't have said even six weeks ago. I think quite a lot of people were getting to the point where the majority of the squad could could go. I think we're now at the stage where we know. The, the kind of older players that we'd want to leave, um, maybe some of the fringe players that we think we, sh- we should let go, uh, and some of the players that are obviously well documented with um, contracts running down or, or are in their prime for, for selling. Um, so I think we know there's there's going to be a big change in the summer, but it's maybe not as massive uh, as people would have would have wanted to be six, eight weeks ago. So from that side, I think it deserves great credit. The two semi-final wins have um, bought time is, is the wrong thing, but have, have given them that assurance because he's went to the well uh, and he's won. Um, if you think even the quarter final as well, that setback to for Braga to bring it back and for us to then go and do the business an extra time, extra time again in the semi final against Celtic and then the setback on Thursday night to win. So that that shows the team are fighting for him. Shows he's got um, maybe the personality that some were starting to doubt because he is such a nice, calm guy. Um, but he does have that personality there. I think there's a steel there that um, he can get things done. Um, the tactical changes for me are are very important. I think we're, we're showing that adaptability that maybe people didn't see or didn't think was possible last year. Uh, and that's undoubtedly getting us places that, that we want to go. So for me, um, I'm feeling confident uh, in where we are just now. I think 
duo was deserved um, a summer transfer window. I think that'll be big in terms of his his future and what he can go on and do. But for right now, I think uh, I'm delighted with how things have been going. This run has been beyond my wildest dreams since we got through um, since we got through the group stages. It's just been fantastic. Um, those eight games if you take them in isolation, uh, are probably, or certainly the happiest I've been uh, in a European stage ever um, in the, the kind of 30 years I've been going to games. So um, from that, he deserves huge credit. And looking at it on paper, yes, we don't have Ibrooks, and we mentioned that there, we don't have that as a one-off game, but looking at it on paper and from what I've seen of Frankfurt, we've beaten better teams in this run. Um, you could probably put them at maybe just a level, maybe a level above Braga, maybe par with Red Star if we're looking at it kind of high level but um, the league table shows they're, they're nowhere near um, the two German teams that we've already beaten so when you balance it up on on that without doing any kind of lower level analysis etc when you balance it up on that way I think it's a huge huge chance for us to go and take this step which will just surpass everyone's wildest expectations and I can't even sum up what that will feel like to be honest, I'm not even going to try and attempt it. What we have just now is um, out with really my, my abilities in terms of, of summing up. But if we go and do that step next week, I don't think you'll, you probably won't even hear me on the network for a week. I'll be stuck in Spain somewhere. Um, but um, it'll be absolutely worth it. Cami, how do you put into words this run, the manager, etc.? I mean, it, it's it's nothing short of phenomenal. I do believe, and I really do mean this, that it will be the greatest achievement in the club's history because uh, I think I said this in a couple of shows prior that we're not invited to this party, Stevie. We are not. We are not welcome at this party. The 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 party is set so that we don't get a close to a sniff of the door. And now what we've done is we've kicked the door in, we've taken over the DJ decks, we've cracked open the kegs, we're now running it. And that's because we deserve to be there. I think it's different. It's interesting because for some of the younger um, podders I've been speaking to recently who don't really remember Manchester and don't really remember the how Manchester developed and how it unfurled and all the rest of it. The key difference is that I, I think for me, it only, I mean, and again, I, I don't know if people listening to this will feel the same, but it felt real the minute after the Novo penalty. That's when all of a sudden it just hit you like a ton of bricks that you were in a European final. This time around, it's very much an idea of, well, we'll put one team to the sword. And it doesn't matter who they are. And I know that there's been the VT going around from um, RTV about Connor Goldson coming out and saying, you know, I don't care who they are. I don't care what their name is. They're not as good as us, etc. And And as the kids would say, inject that into my veins. Because we talked before about how fractured we've been with regards to significant injuries uh, to the first 11 and how we've had to kind of step into the playing squad. What you're talking about here is a, is a team cohesion that believes fundamentally that we can do this. And you've seen results and performances home and away that, that fully demonstrate that. Even when we've lost, as we've discussed it, even when we've lost, we've still shown that belief. And I think that the most important thing that you can look at now, more than anything else, is we we have to remove ourselves from any peripheral nonsense. And we've shown a maturity that, that, that allows us to understand that we won't win the league, but we now have bigger fish to fry. And whilst I don't want to make this all about them, 
they are terrified that we will win this because in actual fact, although they won't admit it publicly, they're scared that we can do it because we can do it because we've beaten, dare I say it, better teams in the run-up to the team that we're about to play in the final. That being said, the final will be its own its own particular dynamic. Um, however, I've got massive faith in the fact that this group of players, the manager, his staff, everybody at the club are all in absolute tandem in terms of what they want to be able to, to achieve out the back of this. Um, I, I think that I, I'm still of the belief that a, a large, large piece of surgery has to happen across the team in the summer. I think that we've we've got to be able to look at how we can manage resources and how we can be able to try and do that. And that's a conversation for another time because really what you're talking about from next season is competing in a number of fronts, but doing so in a consistency, which we've probably lacked across the board when Van Bronckhurst has come in. Um, but he needs time. He needs time to be able to try and do that, which is why talk of him being sacked if he lost against Celtic in the semi-final was ridiculous. But that all being said, um, this this I I, I I don't I don't know how to put into words what winning in Seville will mean to all of us and to what it will mean to 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 the club that, like I say, has more or less been playing a rigged game against UEFA about being able to try and take over one of its tournaments. And for us to be able to go in and win it, I mean, it will... It's beyond era-defining. I I can't even think of the words in terms of being able to try and describe how massive that will be. We will talk about this to grandchildren, to generations that follow that as well. And I'm just so eternally grateful that... Even if you know we aren't able to get into the stadium together, we'll all be together to enjoy that moment. I think it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Adam, thank you for joining us. One more step to, to take for the club. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And Cami, always a pleasure, mate. Thank you both. Um, great conversation. If anything else, it's just increased my excitement for what's about to go in and glory awaits. And that's us. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking about this. Rangers are in a, a European final. They've made us dream. Let's all do it together and take that next step. This has been Rangers Corner. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.